Hey, what's up? It's Cole, Janine's producer on the podcast. Welcome to the Janine Hernandez experience. It's time to get inspired, step into your purpose, and create a life worth living. Enjoy the show. Thank you guys so much for joining me on the Janine Hernandez experience. Today I have my dear friend, Jessica Irizarry. She is a seven-year police officer from my hometown, actually, in Perth, Amboy. And she is an amazing woman, person, friend, just an amazing person all around. And her words are just powerful. She is a poet, and her spoken word is just on another level. I look up to her in that aspect. I am also a poet, but I can't do what she does. So (laughs) I wanted to bring her on the podcast because almost on a daily, we tend to have some amazing, vulnerable conversations. And like I tell her, they be lit. So (laughs) I wanted to bring her on and have her share a little bit about her story, about what she has going on. And then we're going to get right into it with some Mm. vulnerability. So Jessica, welcome. Hey. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the police department and how you got into poetry and how you are just so amazing. All right. So we can start with poetry because it obviously took place prior to my career. So poetry happened because I just so happened to uh, get detention (laughs) in the seventh grade. So I was about 13. And uh, that's the first time I wrote a poem. Uh, I didn't really know what open mics were or slam poetry or anything like that. I knew just the basics of what we learned in school. But uh, as the years went on, I obviously developed an extensive vocabulary. And so I kind of just flowed with writing as much as I could. And when I hit college, I exposed myself to my first open mic. And it was very interesting. So poetry for me has been like a can of Pringles. You know, once you pop, the fun don't stop. (laughs) I've been in law enforcement for seven years. I decided I wanted to do law enforcement after I realized that law school was just too much debt for me. But the Silence of the Lambs brought me to where I am now with my career. So um, it's been super rewarding. Uh, A lot of people think that being a cop is just meeting a quota and issuing tickets and we're unfair and whatnot. But the reality is that in and out of that uniform, we're just as equal as anyone else. You know, mm-hmm. I do believe that sometimes things may seem unfair and people have a very biased view of what law enforcement or cop life is, but we bleed just like you. We cry just like you. There's things that we experience that leave us super traumatized, but I wouldn't change my career for anything in this world. I love it. I love the impact that I've had on the younger generation and I love knowing that there's people, both young and old, who have come to me over the course of seven years to tell me that I saved their life or I'm one of the nicest officers they've ever encountered or why am I so nice? You know, like it's very comforting to know that people want to come and have a conversation with you. They want to say, hey, are you hungry? And it's not because I'm a cop. It's generally because they see past that uniform. So my career so far has been super rewarding. That's so awesome. I love it. And we are so thankful for everything that you do. And also, someone told me that you're working on a book or something like that. (laughs) 
That's I am. <laughs> so I am working on a poetry book. It is uh, very personal for me. I kind of take it through a, uh, a course of growth. And I went a very long period of time without writing. And so when I finally decided to start writing again, I was going through a moment in, in my life where I felt super empty, like something was missing. And I knew what was missing was me writing. I stopped doing poetry for about three to four years and I didn't really know why. And so when I started writing again, the first piece that I wrote was actually freedom. And I literally felt like I broke every chain that held me back from writing. Um, I think that now I can say that the reason why I stopped writing was probably because I was doubting myself and doubting my talents. Is the world going to like what I produce? Is this worth putting in the book? And after I wrote Freedom, within three months, I wrote 43 poems. Holy moly. <laughs> it was a lot. I can't say that those 43 poems will be in this book, but it will be uh, somewhere out there in this world in 2020. God willing, universe willing. It's going to be titled Fragments and Metaphors. So it'll definitely tap into some of my love life, definitely my roots and where I am now. I feel like the course of the chapters essentially highlights my growth period, right? Like I went from being somewhere at rock bottom to resurrecting in a sense is how I look at it. And I feel super accomplished with how my poetry has progressed because I read my poem that I still have from when I was in detention in the seventh grade. And I'll never forget her name, Miss Barra Carroll. She was not fond of me. I was not. Her favorite. <laughs> I really wasn't. But it was such a crappy poem. Like, I'm like, God, why was I so proud of this? And I realized that I was proud of it because it was something new for me. And if I compare my work now to how I wrote back then, I could definitely say now I'm ready for a book. So it's super exciting. And uh, after my book, then we'll shoot for a, an audiobook because, you know, some people don't like to read. They want to hear it. And because I do perform, the way I would read my poetry is a little different to how someone would just read the poem. So. Mm -hmm. Your poetry is just out of this world, but then when you actually perform it, every time, so guys, she sends me audio clips of her poetry and she's like, just give me your feedback. Obviously my feedback every time is it's amazing, but every time she sends me something and I hear it, it's like I have to like drop the mic, boom, because it's so amazing. Like I'm just blown away and I wish I had that talent to do the spoken word. I do not. So thank you for that. <laughs> have you tried? Yes, actually, I, I have. I've done spoken word before, but I just don't think it's my it's my area. I like to write. Okay. Yeah, not perform. So I'm excited about your book. It's going to release this year, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm yes. like pushing her. I'm like, we got to get this done. <laughs> I know. It's going to be done this year. It will Yay. And I know that after you writing the 40-whatever poems in the last three months, you're going to have actually a second book. So I'm so excited and so proud of you and everything that you are creating and that you're sharing with the world. Because a lot of people can relate to a lot of the things that you write about. Yes. You know? So one of the, the main topic of today's episode that we wanted to talk about was more so around my book and some of the different chapters that I have in the book. And one of the ones that resonated with you was overcoming fear, was my chapter on overcoming fears. 
Can you tell me a little bit about how you do that? So when you go on stage, are you fearful? And how do you break that down to actually push yourself to do it? Man, so when I was in college, I would perform in a room full of like 80 people or more. And that was for me, like a concert, you know, like you get on stage and it, it shocks you and you're just like, oh my God, there's so many people here and I have to read my poem. And then you would see other writers, poets and performers, they would come up and they were so fluid with everything. And there I was with my piece of paper thinking, man, I'm really not good enough. Like I'm just a paper poet and you're going to love me like that. But eventually I took it as a challenge. And so I would practice and I would be in a mirror and this is going to sound crazy, but like in college, my roommate had um, stuffed animals that people would give her because they missed her birthday gifts or whatever. And that was my audience. And so I would practice like that so that I wouldn't have this fear of someone staring at me. But I think what helped me most was the paperclip that I always had in my hand. Hmm. If you distract yourself from something that's currently happening, you won't be as nervous yeah. or you won't be as affected. So I used a paperclip. I'd go on stage, I'd keep one hand in my pocket. I would have my poem in my hand and the paperclip in the other hand in my pocket. And I would just constantly just kind of dig into it so that I wouldn't think anything of it. I think it took me maybe about two years to kind of just say, okay, you know what? I have to try this. And I think that the only way that you can truly overcome a fear is going directly to it. Yep. If you know that you're scared of something, right? Like there's people who are scared of spiders. Me. <laughs> there's people who are scared of heights. ocean water. Or ocean and water. Heights. Right. But the only way that you can overcome those things is if you get into the ocean. Even if you put your feet in that, in like a body of water, that is you slowly making steps to overcoming your fear. And I think that me telling myself, you know, you can do this, you can do this, has helped me perform over the course of the years. I am still just as nervous. I am a sweaty mess when I perform. But throughout all of that nervousness, when I hit that last word in my piece, that reaction that you get from the audience is what makes you overcoming your fear most rewarding. So, mm -hmm. you know, you got to go to it. You do. I feel like you have to run towards your fears, even though it's one of the most difficult things that you have to do in life. I'll share actually two of my most fearful things that I've had to overcome. One of them was mountains. For some reason, going up mountains, I've always gotten nauseous and sick and anxiety. And I don't know if it's car sickness or if it's elevation sickness. I actually had a trip to Switzerland and we were going to stay in a ski resort. And I knew about this trip for about 10 months prior. So I legit for about 10 months had anxiety thinking about this trip, thinking about how I had to go up a mountain, thinking about how I had to stay at the top of the resort. I mean, I bought the motion sickness bands. I bought the ginger, the nausea, like everything. I was so prepared. And then when we went and we got there and we went up the mountain, nothing happened. I was completely 100% fine. And it just put things into perspective of like, I had all this anxiety for no damn reason, for no reason at all. And I was creating it myself. Like it's, mm -hmm. you start to realize that like you create these fears yourself. They're not even real sometimes. Yes. <laughs> Another one that I had was actually skydiving. I had a coworker 
who was a professional skydiver. He would skydive every weekend. Mm -hmm. And one weekend he went with 30 people. They did a formation jump. They came down and his parachute did deploy, but it got tangled with someone else's. So he hit the ground and about three days later passed away. It was traumatizing. I know it's crazy. It was traumatizing not only for me, for the co-workers, the company, his family, friends. It was a very traumatizing moment. And I told myself I would never, ever skydive. And anytime anyone would skydive or talk about it, I thought they were the most dumbest people in the world. I was like, this is so stupid. What about like indoor skydiving? Okay, that's different. That's different. Okay, cool. That's safer. But <laughs> I know, not me. Until last year, I had this strong feeling in the pit of my stomach of a you created this for yourself because that didn't happen to you and mm-hmm. b if i want to overcome my fears and be able to get to the next level in life you need to get over this so i jumped out of a plane guys <laughs> this was may of last year how was that amazing freaking amazing i booked the trip with my brother's best friend who is very adventurous and just out there so i knew that going with him was perfect because he was not gonna let me like back out it was kind of scary after i signed my life away and i paid you know i had anxiety i remember i was doing jumping jacks i was listening to um heavy metal i was doing push-ups like i had all this energy i needed to get out but then once they called my name and you know to get on the plane i was at com- in complete peace and then we went up and i just saw all of arizona it was just the most beautiful experience and then jumping was the most beautiful experience i can't put it into words that's just a prime example of like that's a fear that you create yourself that's not even real. It's not even real. And sometimes you just have to jump at it. We have to go through it, you know? Right. I think that, so like for me, I operate under being still. Hmm. And I really do think that when you're still and you're just taking the time out to truly just breathe through something, there's a moment of clarity that takes place, but there's like a greater connection. And I'm speaking for myself, but everyone believes in something right Mm -hmm. and i am a very spiritual person but i feel like every time i'm scared of something and i can't control my anxiety the first thing i tell myself is like okay be still and know Mm -hmm. and a lot of people from my personal encounters don't really understand the power in that verse like be still and know that i am god there is something that protects you and whatever it is that you do in life there will always be some type of force field to protect you. And so when you're scared, I agree 100%, it is super self-created. And anxiety is something that makes it worse, but anxiety also fogs your thought process is how I view it. So when fear strikes, is fear striking because of something you've already been through or something that you know someone's gone through or something that you've seen? And then you start putting all these things together and it's just, compounded and now you're a hot mess mm-hmm. and then but once you get there and it's like okay are you gonna jump what are you gonna do are you gonna jump what are you gonna do and you have to make the decision to always jump because when you jump that's when you get your answers that's when your clarity starts to come into play and then once you hit that threshold of okay now i'm here let me get through it you are now you're becoming a vessel for someone else who may experience that same fear Mm -hmm. And you can say to this person, okay, well, you can look at it like this, or you can look at it like this, 
but one day you have to go through it. And not even that for yourself, you realize that like, holy moly, like this was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Like you were so fearful of it, but then once you do it, it's almost exhilarating. And like, you're on this high of like, wow, I just read my poem out loud or wow, I just jumped out of a plane or- And I don't know if I could do that, man. I did indoor skydiving recently uh-huh. and I would do it again. After I was done, I'm like, all right, let's go jump out of a plane. But then the more I think about it, I'm like, I don't know if I want to jump out of a plane after I experienced this because like I was able to do all this like cool, like spinning and flipping stuff. I'm just going to just fall out of the plane is how I'm looking at it. And I'm going to, I just don't know if I can handle that. So I think that after doing indoor skydiving, there's a fear of jumping out of a plane. But prior to, I didn't have that fear. And it's because I kind of got like a little dose of what it could probably feel like. But the guys that were there were super helpful. They made me feel super comfortable. But they also said it's a completely different experience. Probably is. I know that like it's more controlled indoor, obviously. But what you can do indoor versus what you can do outdoor, it's completely different. So I don't know if I would ever jump out of a plane. So kudos to you. But no, no, I think I'm scared of that. I think I might possibly be scared of that yeah but with indoor you do flips and also like yes it's controlled but i don't know outdoor is very controlled like they are on point and you're dropping and they have you you jump with someone with someone but yeah. they like they make sure that your feet are not flying all over the place your hands are in a certain place you're dropping straight mm-hmm. down you're not doing flips you're not doing any of that stuff it's very like safe i guess you could say And then once you actually deploy the chute, it's just, if you can imagine what the sound of silence is, that's what it is. And it's a moment of peace that I can't ever explain to someone. It's just beautiful, beautiful. But I do think what you mentioned about just being still and just knowing, it goes hand in hand with being at peace, just being like, just being- Right. I don't even know how to explain it. Just knowing that it's all is good. All is going to be okay. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. I challenge people all the time. I'm like, just create a list of what you're fearful of and then go do those things. And that's what I started to do. I still am fearful of spiders. So I've thought about having a tarantula on my hand at some point. I haven't done it yet. Because from what I've heard is that you need, usually those people are trained to have tarantulas or whatever. Uh, (laughs) You don't know how to say it. But it's something that I've thought about because I freak out. So, yeah, I just think when it comes to fears, sometimes you just have to go out there and do it. Just do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How do you find your peace in the midst of chaos? Uh, Being still. And that's why overcoming fears and finding peace, it resonated with me because I do feel like they go hand in hand. And and I'm not going to lie, as I'm reading through your book and I get to the table of contents, I'm like reading and I'm reading and I'm like, the whole thing resonates with me. How can I just pick one? I am literally pieces of everything that you touched upon. I wake up and the first thing I think of is my gratitude jar. Why am I grateful today? I start my day with that. And throughout my day, I focus on the things that happen, whether they be good or bad. And I focus on areas that need work. It's not just individual work. It's your interpersonal relationships 
with whoever that may be, you're going to experience highs and you're going to experience lows throughout your day. But I think that if you can group together the chain of events that took place throughout your day and really find a silver lining in those things where it's allowing you to grow and make sense of certain things and say, okay, well, today I did this. Tomorrow I have to be better. So how do I change that? How do I make this interaction better? Not just for me, but those around me, right? Because you're always going to have experiences with your surroundings. And so in order for me to find peace, naturally I write some poetry. I do journal. I meditate as often as I can. I live by the water, so it helps me. So when I meditate, I'm in front of water and then the sky is there. The moon is there. It's like the perfect setting that for me, I'm at peace. But it just goes back to what I said before. When I am still is when I'm most peaceful. When I communicate and I let things out and I'm not self-imploding is when I'm at most peace, at my most peaceful state of mind, because now I'm letting it out and I'm allowing not only myself, but others to understand what's happening here. And a lot of people are afraid to let out what's happening here and what's happening here. And that affects you from truly living with gratitude and understanding yourself and growing. And you cannot have peace if there's turmoil here and there's turmoil here, right? If you're mind. Exactly. So in your table of contents, not to jump all over the place, but when I'm reading everything, I thought mind, body, and soul, right? Mm, yeah. And if, if your mind isn't good, the rest of your body is not going to be good because this is what controls the health of everything that's attached to it. And so that's why I say that if I'm not writing, then I have to talk about it. And sometimes talking about it to other people may feel like, okay, you're a broken record, but that's what helps me find peace and helps me understand why certain things are happening. But I'm also aware that not everything has like an answer, right? Like not everything that we do or say, or other people do or say, or things that we just see, you know, during a run or a workout session or whatever, we're going to have the answers to, or is going to make sense to us. But if we just take a second to just really just be like, all right, this happens. And I have to take it for what it's worth at face value. Don't pick at it. Tomorrow's got to be better. How can I make it better? Right. Mm -hmm. So I'll use my job as an example. I go and we go to a hot call. A hot call would be like a priority one call, like uh, gunshots or a domestic between family members or people in a relationship or whatever. We go to a gun call. And when there's a gun call, there's a procedure that we take and we set up a perimeter around the area of where the call came from or that the gunshots were heard from, where the case may be. And that perimeter is just the first step to being tactical because now we have officers coming in from all angles and I have to be vigilant of those people that I'm working with because it's not just me that I have to take care of, I have to also take care of them. And in the event of all this happening, you can't have tunnel vision because if there's tunnel vision, someone's liable to get hurt. You're liable to make a mistake. You're liable to just freeze and be like, okay, what happens next? And what we do is we do a debrief. And that for me, a debrief, whether we do it that same day or we do it the next day, is similar to me reflecting on how can Jessica be better than she was the day before? How can she change those things? Like, what could I have done differently in responding to that call that I've never done before to enhance my tactical policing? or my tactical response to certain things. I suck at listening sometimes. How can I change that? 
okay, I need to learn how to shut up. It's little things like that, that some people really just don't take the time to self-reflect in order to find peace. And if you're not self-reflecting and you're not taking the time out to really pick at yourself, then you can't really give people the best version of who you are or who you're meant to be. There's just so much that can go into it. A lot of times we focus on how other people make us feel, mm-hmm. how other people did this, or we look for external answers when really answers are always inside of us. Yes. What did I do wrong? I cannot be responsible for what's going on around me, only for what's going on in here. Mind, body, soul, right? So with any situation or even with people, it's what can I hold myself accountable for? What did I do wrong? What? How can I improve? Or maybe there's nothing to improve, but let me reflect on this and let me see how I can make it better next time or right. X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to being still and just having a moment of clarity and being at peace too, like just understanding like, some things are out of our control. That I, part, I, are you snapping your fingers? Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. A is, lot of things are out of our control. Yes. You know? But what you can control is how you respond to things. Exactly. And life is really just about blending. People are so focused on how they feel that you're not realizing that there's an effect that's happening to other people. Like there's things that you're doing or not doing that are affecting other people. So If you don't know how to blend your palette of colors, how can you expect someone else to do that for you? And that's why I say you have to be completely at peace up here and in here in order for you to deliver the best of who you are. Mm -hmm. And every day moving forward, it's got to be like the stairway to heaven kind of thing, right? When I get to that gate, I want God, because that's who I believe in. I want him to tell me on judgment day, this is who you were meant to be. And if I get to that point and I don't get that message from him, then I did myself a disservice and you, you only get one shot at that. I think that in order for someone to really, truly grasp the act of being at peace is by having an outlet. And that outlet can come in many forms, being still, communicating, writing, going for a walk, meditating, all of those things essentially kind of just put you in a place where you're at peace. So true. I think for me, what helps me be at peace, um, not only is it just the acts of meditating or maybe going for a walk or doing the things that I love, like going hiking, those things help me be at peace, but also with certain situations, because a lot of times for me, myself, I've been working so hard on myself. I would say I've been on this personal development journey for about a good 10 years, but I wouldn't say like the past maybe two years, I've been very intentional in my personal development walk. And I got to a point where if something wasn't going right in my life, I was blaming myself. We've had this conversation before. I was blaming myself and I was looking at myself like what is it that i need to fix as if i was broken and i started to realize that some things are out of our control or out of my control Mm -hmm. and they just happen the way that they do for whatever reason but that's not a reflection of who i am as a person right right and so it's just being at peace with like it's all good just you're giving me all types of vibes right now and it's it's great it's just releasing control i guess and letting go just saying, hey, surrender. I- surrender. 
I'm snapping my fingers again. Yeah, surrendering. It's just being at peace, surrendering, releasing control, and just letting go. And once I started doing that, I stopped being judgmental about myself. I stopped looking at myself as if I was a problem or as if I needed to fix certain things. I started to live more peacefully where it's just like, if things work out, great. If they don't, great. It's still okay. It is beautiful. I'm experiencing very heavy deja vu right now. Mm. When I was an undergrad, I took a psychology course and I was really big on that. And I took a class with Dr. Mamora. And I really thought that this guy was utterly insane. But that phrase, there's a method behind my madness that my mom would like literally beat into me when I was a kid, made sense to me my senior year of undergrad. He said, it is not you, it's them. And what people put you through is a reflection of how they feel about themselves. Hmm. You're telling me now that you're so critical of yourself or essentially you've dissected who Janine is to recreate yourself, right? Yes. And sometimes we do get lost in blaming ourselves and thinking what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me. And people like that, not only are they people who love hard and unconditionally, but they're also super forgiving and they want that in return. So when they're feeling like there's a lack thereof, you're thinking, well, well, why? Why can't you give me that? What's wrong with me? And there really is nothing wrong with you. The psychology behind it is that everyone's looking for their mirror image, their mirror reflection. And so your encounters with people, whether it be family or friends or your intimate relationships, you're looking for that mirror image. And we have to be prepared, mind, body, and soul, to understand that you may not have that mirror reflection from someone that you feel is good for you. And he would say it all the time, like, if you're failing, don't worry. That's not my problem. That's your problem. That's on you. You created that. That's how you see yourself. You see yourself failing in life. And that's why you're not passing this class. And I'm like, damn, like, you are critical, dude. Like, you're really critical. But it makes total sense. Like, it sounds crazy, but it makes total sense. Like, you have to really, really tap into yourself to really understand the psychology behind why people treat people the way they do. And if you can't do that, then you're never going to hold yourself accountable for things. Mm. Some serious deja vu. Repeat that again, what he said. If you're failing this class, that's not my problem. That's a your problem kind of thing. You're failing this class because you're going to fail in life. You see yourself failing in life. Yeah. So it's, And that's why you're failing in my class. It goes back to like your mindset. What you believe for yourself is what you Exactly. Create. Yes. That's exactly what he meant. Janine, I would go to this class and I would sit down next to one of my friends who I played soccer with. And I'm like, all right, what's this crazy guy going to talk about today? Did you do the assignment? This assignment was crazy, bro. And at the end of the semester, he walks in and he did the same thing he did at the very first day that we went into class. He sprayed the room with an orange scent and he says, congratulations you guys passed enjoy the summer it was the weirdest experience of my life but it was super life-altering and now i can say at the age of 31 opposed to at the age of 22 i didn't get it and i had to literally go through all these experiences for me to be like yo that's what he meant he wasn't crazy he wasn't crazy i just didn't get it i just didn't get it and now having going through this conversation with you right now it makes even more sense. Crazy. I feel like you're just like, oh. <laughs> mind blown. 
I told you guys our conversations be lit. And this is like on a regular. Me and Jessica have these deep conversations about life on the regular. Yes, Janine is the reason why I made sure I had backup chargers everywhere I go, for sure. Backup chargers? Oh. For my phone, girl. Voice clips. I'm like, Janine, you could have called me for this. 15 voice clips later, you know you could have called me. Yeah, but you know, I don't know if you're busy. (laughs) (laughs) My bad, not really. Sorry, not sorry. Well, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I would love for you to share more about where everyone can reach you. Do you have an Instagram for your poetry or personal one? Do you have a website? Like, where can they reach you? I do have that information. So I do have two Instagram accounts. The one that I use for my poetry, uh, you want me to spell it out for you? Yes, Because I feel like you're writing something right now. Yes, spell it out and then, but I'll also put it in the comments. All right, so it's J-U, Justice, and then it's going to be a P-0-E-T-R-Y, Justice Poetry. That's my IG account. It's a work in progress account. And if Um, anyone wants to, like, contact you directly, they can reach out to you on Instagram, but do you have, like, a poetry email? An email? Yeah. Yeah, so my business account email um, is obviously based on my poetry. So it's going to be poetically, Jess, J-E-S-S, 714 at gmail.com. There you have it, guys. If you guys would like to book Miss Jessica or just find out about her upcoming book, um, definitely reach out to her on Instagram and or her email. She has been posting some of her poetry on Instagram. And some of the video ones that you've recently posted, I was actually watching it the other night. I couldn't sleep. I was like, dang, <laughs> like drops like <laughs> every two seconds because you're putting- that video, that video is by far one of the best performances I've ever given. I know. I know. So I'm going to link all of this stuff so you guys can check it out. But I want to thank you so, so, so much. Do you have any you. last minute thoughts or anything you'd like to leave us with? I do. So. And this is inspired by you. Oh. Don't get gassed, though, honey. Don't get gassed, though. <laughs> um, so what I want to say is that Janine is a role model. And Janine has shown not just me, but a lot of our friends and family and a big portion of her fan base. I know definitely look up to her. Um, so I definitely want to say thank you. And I want to leave everyone with, you can have a one cent to your name and you can make an entire enterprise out of it. And Janine is a living example of that. So mm. do not, do not stop chasing your dreams. Thank you so much. And I promise you, I won't, girl. You know that this is just the beginning. Just the beginning. Really? Because you got like a thousand books out. I promise you this is the beginning. I There's so many other levels that I want to achieve. And I'm just so excited to get there. Like whatever yeah. it looks like. That stairway to heaven. Mm -hmm. I'm getting there. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. Really, really appreciate you. If you guys would like to reach out to Jessica, I will link everything in the comment section. Thank you. Fragments and metaphors. Yes. It'll be coming out this year. So stay tuned for that. Hey, thanks for listening to the Janine Hernandez Experience Podcast. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe to our channel, Instagram, and all things social media. We'll see you soon on the next episode.